0: Chapter fifteen of the Epistle of St. Paul to the Romans by Handley Mole. This Librivox recording is in the public domain. Justification and Holiness Illustrations from Human Life Romans six fourteen to seven six. At the point we have now reached, the Apostle's thought pauses for a moment to resume. He has brought us to self-surrender. We have seen the sacred obligations of our divine and wonderful liberty. We have had the miserable question, shall we cling to sin, answered by an explanation of the rightness and the bliss of giving over our accepted persons to the fullest liberty of will to God in Christ. Now he pauses to illustrate and enforce. And two human relations present themselves for the purpose, the one to show the absoluteness of the surrender, the other its living results. The first is slavery, the second is wedlock. Verse 14. For sin shall not have dominion over you. Sin shall not put in its claim upon you, the claim which the Lord has met in your justification. For you are not brought under law, but under grace. The whole previous argument explains this sentence. He refers to our acceptance. He goes back to the justification of the guilty, without the deeds of law, by the act of free grace, and briefly restates it thus, that he may take up afresh the position that this glorious liberation means not license but divine order. Sin shall be no more your tyrant creditor, holding up the broken law in evidence that it has right to lead you off to a pestilential prison and to death." Your dying saviour has met your creditor in full for you, and in him you have entire discharge in that eternal court where the terrible plea once stood against you. Your dealings as debtors are now not with the enemy who cried for your death, but with the friend who has bought you out of his power. Verse 15. What then, are we to sin because we are not brought under law but under grace? Shall our life be a life of license, because we are thus wonderfully free? The question assuredly is one which, like that of verse 1, and like those suggested in 3, 8, and 31, had often been asked of St. Paul by the bitter opponent, or by the false follower. And again it illustrates and defines by the direction of its error the line of truth from which it flew off. It helps to do what we have remarked above, to assure us that, when St. Paul taught justification by faith without deeds of law, he meant what he said without reserve. He taught that great side of truth wholly and without a compromise. He called the sinner just as he was, and waiting not to rid his soul of one dark blot, to receive at once and without fee the acceptance of God for another's blessed sake. Bitter must have been the moral pain of seeing from the first— this holy freedom distorted into an unhallowed leave to sin but he will not meet it by an impatient compromise or untimely confusion it shall be answered by a fresh collocation The liberty shall be seen in its relation to the liberator, and behold, the perfect freedom is a perfect service, willing but absolute, a slavery joyfully accepted, with open eyes and open heart, and then lived out as the most real of obligations by a being who has entirely seen that he is not his own. Verse 16 to verse 17. Away with the thought, Do you not know that the party to whom you present, surrender, yourselves bondservants, slaves, so as to obey him, bondservants you are, not the less for the free will of the surrender, of the party whom you obey? No longer merely contractors with him, who may bargain or retire, but his bondservants out and out, whether of sin to death, or of obedience to righteousness as if their assent to Christ, their Amen to his terms of peace, acceptance, righteousness, were personified. They were now the bondsmen of this their own act and deed, which had put them, as it were, into Christ's hands for all things. Now thanks be to our God that you were bondmen of sin, in legal claim and under moral sway. Yes, every one of you was this, whatever forms the bondage took upon its surface but you obeyed from the heart the mould of teaching to which you were handed over. They had been sin slaves. Verbally, not really, he thanks God for that fact of the past. Really, not verbally, he thanks God for the pastness of the fact, and for the bright contrast to it in the regenerated present. They had now been handed over by their Lord's transaction about them to another ownership, and they had accepted the transfer from the heart it was done by another for them, but they had said their humble, thankful fiat, as he did it. And what was the new ownership thus accepted? We shall find soon, First 22, as we might expect, that it is the mastery of God. But the bold, vivid introductory imagery has already called it, verse 16, the slavery of obedience. Just below, verses 19 and 20, it is the slavery of righteousness, that is, if we read the word aright in its whole context of the righteousness of God, his acceptance of the sinner as his own in Christ. And here, in a phrase most unlikely of all, whose personification strikes life into the most abstract aspects of the message of the grace of God, the believer is one who has been transferred to the possession of a mould of teaching. The apostolic doctrine, the mighty message, the living creed of life, the teaching of the acceptance of the guilty for the sake of him who was their sacrifice, and is now their peace and life, this truth has, as it were, grasped them as its vassals, to form them, to mould them for its issues. It is indeed their tenant, it holds them, a thought very different from what is too often meant when we say of a doctrine that we hold it, justification by their Lord's merit, union with their Lord's life. This was a doctrine, reasoned, ordered, verified, but it was a doctrine warm and tenacious with the love of the Father and of the Son, and it had laid hold of them with a mastery which swayed thought, affection, and will, ruling their whole view of self and God. Verse 18. Now, liberated from your sin, you were enslaved to the righteousness of God. Here is the point of the argument. It is a point of steel, for all this fact, but the steel is steeped in love, and carries life and joy into the heart it penetrates. They are not for one moment their own. Their acceptance has magnificently emancipated them from their tyrant enemy. But it has absolutely bound them to their friend and king. Their glad consent to be accepted has carried with it a consent to belong. And if that consent was at the moment rather implied than explicit, virtual rather than articulatory conscious. They have now only to understand their blessed slavery better, to give the more joyful thanksgiving to him who has thus claimed them altogether as his own. The Apostle's aim in this whole passage is to awaken them with the strong, tender touch of his holy reasoning, to articulate their position to themselves. They have trusted Christ and are in him. Then they have entrusted themselves altogether to him. Then they have in effect surrendered They have consented to be his property. They are the bondservants, they are the slaves of his truth, that is, of him, robed and revealed in his truth, and shining through it on them in the glory at once of his grace and of his claim. Nothing less than such an obligation is the fact for them. Let them feel, let them weigh, and then let them embrace the chain, which, after all, will only prove their pledge of rest and freedom what st paul thus did for our elder brethren at rome let him do for us of this later time for us who read this page all the facts are true in christ to-day to-day let us define and affirm their issues to ourselves and recollect our holy bondage and realize it and live it out with joy now he follows up the thought conscious of a superficial repulsiveness of the metaphor quite as repulsive in itself to the pharisee as to the englishman He, as it were, apologizes for it, not the less carefully in his noble considerateness, because so many of his first readers were actually slaves. He does not lightly go for his picture of our master's hold of us to the market of Corinth, or of Rome, where men and women were sold and bought to belong as absolutely to their buyers as cattle or as furniture. Yet he does go there to shake slow perceptions into consciousness, and bring the will face to face with the claim of God, So he proceeds, verse 19, I speak humanly. I use the terms of this utterly not divine bond of man to man to illustrate man's glorious bond to God. Because of the weakness of your flesh, because your yet imperfect state enfeebles your spiritual perception and demands a harsh paradox to direct and fix it. For, here is what he means by humanly, just as you surrendered your limbs, your functions and faculties in human life, slaves to your impurity and to your lawlessness, unto that lawlessness, so that the bad principle did indeed come out in bad practice. So now, with as little reserve of liberty, surrender your limbs, slaves to righteousness, to God's righteousness, to your justifying God, unto sanctification, so that the surrender shall come out in your master's sovereign separation of his purchased property from sin. He has appealed to the moral reason of the regenerate soul, now he speaks straight to the will you are with infinite rightfulness the bondman of your god you see your deed of purchase it is the other side of your warrant of emancipation take it and write your own unworthy names with joy upon it consenting and assenting to your owner's perfect rights and then live out your life keeping the autograph of your own surrender before your eyes live suffer conquer labour serve as men who have themselves walked to their master's door, and presented the ear to the awl which pins it to the doorway, each in his turn saying, I will not go out free. To such an act of the soul the apostle calls these saints, whether they had done the like before or no, they were to sum up the perpetual fact, then and there, into a definite and critical act of thankful will and he calls us to do the same to-day by the grace of god it shall be done with eyes open and fixed upon the face of the master who claims us and with hands placed helpless and willing within his hands we will we do present ourselves bondservants to him for discipline for servitude for all his will Verse twenty to verse twenty three for when you are slaves of your sin you are freedmen as to righteousness god's righteousness It had nothing to do with you whether to give you peace or to receive your tribute of love and loyalty in reply. Practically, Christ was not your atonement and so not your master. You stood in a dismal independence outside his claims. To you, your lips were your own, your time was your own, your will was your own. You belonged to self, that is to say, you were the slaves of your sin. Will you go back? Will the word freedom? He plays with it as it were to prove them make you wish yourselves back where you were before you had endorsed by faith your purchase by the blood of christ nay for what was that freedom seen in its results its results upon yourselves what fruit therefore the therefore of the logic of facts used you to have then in those old days from things over which you are ashamed now ashamed indeed for the end the issue as the fruit is the tree's end The end of those things is death, perdition of all true life, here and hereafter, too. But now, indeed, at last, the true issues of being for which you were made, all contributing to sanctification, to that separation to God's will in practice, which is the development of your separation, to that will in critical fact, when you met your Redeemer in self-renouncing faith. Yes, this fruit you have indeed, and as its end as that for which it is produced, to which it always and forever tends, you have life eternal. For the pay of sin, sin's military stipend, punctually given to the being which has joined its war against the will of God, is death, but the free gift of God is life eternal in Jesus Christ our Lord. Is life worth living? Yes, infinitely well worth for the living man who has surrendered to the Lord that bought him. Outside that ennobling capacity, that invigorating, while most genuine bond-service, the life of man is at best complicated and tired, with a bewildered quest, and gives results at best abortive, matched with the ideal purpose of such a being. We present ourselves to God, for his ends, as implements vassals, willing bondmen, and lo, our own end is attained. Our life has settled, after its long friction, into gear. Our root, after hopeless explorations in the dust, has struck at last the stratum, where the immortal water makes all things live and grow, and put forth fruit for heaven. The heart, once dissipated between itself and the world, is now united to the will, to the love, of God, and understands itself and the world as never before and is able to deny self and to serve others in a new and surprising freedom. The man made willing to be nothing, but the tool and bondman of God, has his fruit at last, bears the true product of his now recreated being, pleasant to the master's eye and fostered by his heir and son. And this fruit issues, as acts issue in habit, in the glad experience of a life really sanctified, really separated in ever deeper inward reality, to a holy will, and the end of the whole glad possession is life eternal. Those great words here signify surely the coming bliss of the sons of the resurrection, when at last in their whole perfected being they will live all through with a joy and energy as inexhaustible as its fountain, and unencumbered at last and forever by the conditions of our mortality to that vast future vast in its scope yet all concentrated round the fact that we shall be like him for we shall see him as he is the apostle here looks onward he will say more of it and more largely later in the eighth chapter but as with other themes so with this he preludes with a few glorious chords the great strain soon to come he takes the lord's slave by the hand amidst his present tasks and burdens dear tasks and burdens because the master's but still full of the conditions of earth and he points upward not to a coming manumission in glory the man would be dismayed to foresee that he wants to serve for ever but to a scene of service in which the last remainders of hindrance to its action will be gone and a perfected being will for ever perfectly be not its own and so will perfectly live in god and this so he says to his fellow servant to you and to me is the gift of god a grant as free as generous as ever king gave vassal here below but it is to be enjoyed as such by a being which living wholly for him will freely and purely exult to live wholly on him in the heavenly places yet surely the bearing of the sentences is not wholly upon heaven life eternal so to be developed hereafter that scripture speaks of it often as if it began hereafter really begins here and develops here and is already more abundant john ten ten here it is as to its secret and also its experience to know and to enjoy god to be possessed by him and used for all his will in this respect it is the end the issue and the goal now and perpetually of the surrender of the soul the master meets that attitude with more and yet more of himself known enjoyed possessed possessing and so he gives evermore gives out of his sovereign bounty life eternal to the bondservant who has embraced the fact that he is nothing and has nothing outside his master not at the outset of the regenerate life only and not only when it issues into the heavenly ocean but all along the course the life eternal is still the free gift of god let us now to-day tomorrow, and always open the lips of surrendering and obedient faith, and drink it in abundantly and yet more abundantly, and let us use it for the giver. We are already here on earth at its very springs, so the apostle reminds us, for it is in Jesus Christ our Lord, and we, believing, are in him, saved in his life. It is in him, nay, it is he. I am the life, he that hath the Son hath the life. Abiding in Christ we live because he liveth, it is not to be attained it is given it is our own in christ it is given in its divine fullness as to covenant provision here now from the first to every christian in christ it is supplied as to its fullness and fitness for each arising need as the christian asks receives and uses for his lord so from or rather in our holy bond service the apostle has brought us to our inexhaustible life and its resources for willing holiness. But he has more to say in explaining the beloved theme. He turns from slave to wife, from surrender to bridal, from the purchase to the vow, from the results of a holy bondage to the offspring of a heavenly union. Hear him as he proceeds. Chapter 7, verse 1 to verse 4 Or do you not know, brethren, for I am talking to those acquainted with law, whether Mosaic or Gentile, that the law has claim on the man, the party, in any given case, for his whole lifetime? For the woman with a husband is to her living husband bound by law, stands all along bound to him. His life, under normal conditions, is his adequate claim, proving him living, and you prove her his. But if the husband should have died, she stands ipso facto cancelled from the husband's law, the marriage law as he could bring it to bear against her so therefore while the husband lives she will earn adulteress for her name if she weds another etero a second husband but if the husband should have died she is free from the law in question so as to be no adulteress if wedded to another a second husband accordingly my brethren you too as a mystic bride collectively and individually were done to death as to the law so slain that its capital claim upon you is met and done by means of the body of the Christ, by the doing to death of his sacred body for you, on his atoning cross to satisfy for you the aggrieved law, in order to your wedding another, a second party, him who rose from the dead, that we might bear fruit for God. We, Paul and his converts, in one happy fellowship, which he delights thus to remember and indicate by the way." The parable is stated and explained with a clearness which leaves us at first the more surprised that in the application the illustration should be reversed. In the illustration the husband dies, the woman lives and weds again. In the application the Lord does not die, but we, its unfaithful bride, are done to death to it, and then, strange sequel, are wedded to the risen Christ. We are taken by him to be one spirit with him, 1 Corinthians 7. 1 Corinthians 6.17. We are made one in all his interests and wealth, and fruitful of a progeny of holy deeds in this vital union. Shall we call all this a simile confused? Not if we recognize the deliberate and explicit carefulness of the whole passage. St. Paul, we may be sure, was quite as quick as we are to see the inverted imagery. But he is dealing with a subject which would be distorted by a mechanical correspondence in the treatment the law cannot die for it is the preceptive will of god its claim is on its own awful forum domesticum like the injured roman husband to sentence its own unfaithful wife to death and so it does so it has done but behold its maker and master steps upon the scene he surrounds the guilty one with himself takes her whole burden on himself and meets and exhausts her doom he dies he lives again after death because of death and the law acclaims his resurrection as infinitely just he rises clasping in his arms her for whom he died and who thus died in him and now rises in him out of his sovereign love while the law attests the sure contract and rejoices as the bridegroom's friend he claims her herself yet in him another for his blessed bride all is love as if we walked through the lily gardens of the holy song and heard the call of the turtle in the venal woods and saw the king and his beloved rest and rejoice in one another all is law as if we were admitted to watch some process of roman matrimonial contract stern and grave in which each right is scrupulously considered and every claim elaborately secured without a smile without an embrace before the magisterial chair the church the soul is married to her lord who has died for her and in whom now she lives the transaction is infinitely happy and it is absolutely right all the old terrifying claims are amply and forever met and now the mighty tender claims which take their place instantly and of course begin to bind the bride the law has given her away not to herself but to the risen lord for this let us remember is the point and bearing of the passage. It puts before us, with its imagery at once so grave and so benignant, not only the mystic bridle, but the bridle as it is concerned with holiness. The apostle's object is altogether this. From one side and from another, he reminds us that we belong. He has shown us our redeemed selves in their blessed bond service, free from sin, enslaved to God. He now shows us to ourselves in our divine wedlock, married to another bound to the law of the heavenly husband clasped to his heart but also to his rights without which the very joy of marriage would be only sin from either parable the inference is direct powerful and when we have once seen the face of the master and of the husband unutterably magnetic on the will you are set free into a liberty as supreme and as happy as possible you are appropriated into a possession and into a union more close and absolute than language can set forth you are wedded to one who has and holds from this time forward and the sacred bond is to be prolific of results a life of willing and loving obedience in the power of the risen bridegroom's life is to have as it were for its progeny the fair circle of active graces love joy peace long-suffering gentleness goodness fidelity meekness self-control verse five to verse six alas in the time of the old abolished wedlock there was result there was progeny but that was the fruit not of the union but of its violation for when we were in the flesh in our unregenerate days when our rebel self the antithesis of the spirit ruled and denoted us a state he implies in which we all were once whatever our outward differences were the passions the strong but reasonless impulses of our sins which passions were by means of the law occasioned by the fact of its just but unloved claim fretting the self-life into action worked actively in our limbs, in our bodily life, in its varied faculties and senses, so as to bear fruit for death, we wandered restive from our bridegroom, the law, to sin, our paramour, and behold a manifold result of evil deeds and habits, born, as it were, into bondage in the house of death. But now, now, as the wonderful case stands in the grace of God, we are, it is the Aorist apothanontes, with regard to that in which we were held captive, even the law and its violated bond, so that we do bond service in the spirit's newness and not in the letter's oldness. Thus he comes back through the imagery of wedlock to that other parable of slavery which has become so precious to his heart, so that we do bond service, so that we live a slave life, Oste du levin It is as if he must break in on the heavenly marriage itself, with that brand and bond, not to disturb the joy of the bridegroom and the bride, but to clasp to the bride's heart the vital fact that she is not her own, that fact so blissful but so powerful also, and so practical, that it is worth anything to bring it home. It is to be no dragging and dishonouring bondage in which the poor toiler looks wistfully out for the sinking sun and the extended shadows it is to be not in the letter's oldness no longer on the old principle of the dread and unrelieved thou shalt cut with a pen of legal iron upon the stones of sinai bearing no provision of enabling power but all possible provision of doom for the disloyal it is to be in the spirit's newness on the new wonderful principle new in its full manifestation and application in christ of the holy ghost's empowering presence in that light and strength the new relations are discovered accepted and fulfilled joined by the spirit to the lord christ so as to have full benefit of his justifying merit filled by the spirit with the lord christ so as to derive freely and always the blessed virtues of his life the willing bondservant finds in his absolute obligations an inward liberty ever new fresh as the dawn pregnant as the spring and the worshipping bride finds in the holy call to keep her only unto him who has died for her life nothing but a perpetual surprise of love and gladness new every morning as the spirit shows her the heart and the riches of her lord thus closes in effect the apostle's reasoned exposition of the self-surrender of the justified Happy the man who can respond to it with all the Amen of a life which, reposing on the righteousness of God, answers ever to his will with the loyal gladness found in the newness of the Spirit. It is perfect freedom to understand, in experience, the bondage and the bridal of the saints. End of chapter 15.